So I went to college in a small town in Tennessee at a, you can call it a Christian college. Uh, I say that college can't repent of sin and trust in Christ. But it was known for raising up students um, to take seriously the Bible, to take seriously their faith, and begin to work that out in different kinds of jobs. But one of the things that they, that they did was it was normal to have chapel services and required church attendance. That's kind of a common thing at Christian colleges. But my freshman year, they decided to try a three-year experiment in trying some different ways of, say, forming the spiritual life of students. And it was pretty controversial. I didn't know any different. It was my freshman year. But they decided to give out what they called spiritual life points. So it was kind of like a video game-based spiritual growth. You had to get a certain number of points where you got put on probation. And you got points for going to chapel, going to church services, for being a part of a Bible study, or let's say they had a famous speaker come to school. They would do a kind of ask me anything, and you could get points for going to that. And the, the typical thing you expect to happen happened where a group of students didn't go to anything in the first couple months of the semester and then are like cramming everything that they can imagine at the end of the semester to try and go to enough chapels and church services and Bible studies. And honestly, it's kind of stereotypical to say it was athletes, but it was a lot of athletes that were like, oh, I didn't realize I needed points. And so they're like going and getting a bunch of points. But what was really strange was other students front-loaded the entire semester, got all the points they needed in that first month, and they had two to three months after that. But they didn't have to go to church anymore. They didn't have to go to chapel anymore. They didn't have to go to Bible studies. And it was just like, hey, I got my points. I'm good. I got my spiritual life credits. I'm all good. And I, it was very unusual for a school where students would go to take spiritual things seriously for students to go, hey, I, I'm good. Like, I don't need church anymore. I got all the, the stuff that I need. But isn't that kind of the way that we can all easily think about like spiritual life in church? I mean, we get to Sunday and it's been a busy week and there's a lot of things that we can do and there's a cool race happening at the racetrack or there's ball games to go to with the kids or I'm just tired and not feeling well and it's easy to go, why would I be a part of church? Like, is it because I'm missing some spiritual life points this week and so I should go and listen to a sermon? I should go and sing some songs. If we're honest, we can get we can all get a better sermon on our computers or on our phones. We can all get better music on our computer or on our phone or on TV. We can get community. We can talk with people. There's ministries all over this area where we can serve other people or be served. So really, like, why the church? Isn't it just we need some spiritual life? Is it just because that's the way we've always done things? Or could there be something else? Could there be some other reason, some compelling reason that God has for us to be a part of the church Sunday mornings, maybe during the week at other times? Could there be something besides, let me get a few more credits? We're going to look today at Revelation chapter, chapters 5 and 7. You can go ahead and turn there with me. Today we're taking a break from our series in Proverbs to talk about vision, which is, could be the most boring topic we would talk about. But vision is really ultimately about, why am I a part of the church? Why is God calling us to be a part of the church? And I want to show you Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, starting in verse 9, just to set the scene. John is having a vision of what heaven is like, and he looks into heaven 
and sees 24 elders falling down. And this is what the song that they sang. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then flip over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pray. God, I pray that we would catch a vision of what your mission is, what you see and what you are after. So that we can see how our lives and our church fit into your vision. What we see in these two passages is a vision of the future. This is what God's mission is. And so we can kind of go, what's the church for? Why should I be a part of the church? The real place that we have to start is with the mission of God. And the mission of God is depicted right here in these two stories. The mission of God is laser-focused on a day in which people from every nation, tribe, language are gathered around and enjoying God and God enjoying them. We often call that worship, but worship can feel so stale. But the, the, the vision of God, the mission of God is this scene right here. We often go, so we have churches, what's the mission of the church? And that's actually the wrong question. We actually have to start with, what's the mission of God? What is he doing? And this is that mission. This is the vision that God's eyes are focused on. And so when we talk about why church, we have to have our eyes focused here and say, okay, one day, one day, every nation, tribe, people, and language are going to stand before the throne and sing salvation belongs to our God. So we start with the mission of God, and that's for every church in every place. It's the wrong question for us to go, oh, we have churches, what's the mission? Instead, we have to say, here's the mission, what's the community that God has raised up to make this happen? We, we so easily, let me say that again, we so easily get focused on, here's the church, what's the mission? Instead of going, here's the mission, what's the community that God is using to make that happen? Is He using... These are we, is he using just ministries? Is God just using individuals? Or is God up to something else? And as we begin to look in the New Testament, we find in page after page that as God is pursuing this mission, the community that he has to make that happen is the church. Scott Horrell in his book, From the Ground Up, defines the church as a group of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus who celebrate the Lord's Supper and organize to do God's will. It's not a building. It's a group of people, a baptized believers in the Lord Jesus, who celebrate the Lord's Supper and organize to do God's will. You see, when we are clear about this is the mission of God, then we go, oh, here's the community that must be focused on that mission. Instead of going, oh, here's the community, what should we be about? We say, oh, this is, we're organized, we're gathered because the mission of God is now before us. And that's if that's the mission of God and the church is just a group of people in a specific area focused on making that happen, then we see we should see that reflected all over the place. 
Oftentimes we hear churches say something very similar to that. Their mission, their vision is something like connecting people with God and one another. It'll be something like loving God, loving others, reaching the world. It'll be something like up, in and out. And so churches are saying, hey, here's the mission of God. And this is what we're going to be about. Then vision gets talked about at times in language that's like, oh, God's given me a vision for what we should be about. It's this kind of secret that God's filled the pastor in on. Or it can become like a dream for the pastor. But that's not actually what vision is. That If the mission of God is clear, is a scene one day as people from all over the world worship God, vision actually just becomes the mission of God applied to a specific people in a specific place. There's nothing wrong with saying, here's the mission of God, building a kingdom of priests from all over the world. Vision just becomes us saying, hey, this is what this looks like in this place. In this time, the way I put it is it's mission applied. Another person puts it that vision is a clear and compelling picture of what God wants to see happen in this place. It's an invitation to change what we do now based on this mission of God in the future. So Revelation 7 gives us this picture. of People from every nation, tribe, people, and language. But if you're like me, you go, What does that have to do with my daily life? Going and working in city government, going and working on a college campus, going and working as a janitor in a school, working as a teacher, working as a homemaker. It begins to go, okay, the mission of God, how does that connect with me being a graphic designer in Milwaukee? How does that affect me being a school teacher in Ozaki County? Vision gets a, gives us the chance to say, oh, this is what it looks like here, now. This is what it looks like for us to begin to do that. And so over the last two years, I've been meeting and asking questions and praying for our community and asking leaders, help me understand this place. And let's begin to explore what would it look like for the mission of God to take root right here? What does that look like for us? Again, it's not Joe's dream. It's not something divinely revealed that can never be questioned, never be challenged. It's just an application of God's mission to Belgium, to Ozaki County, to Sheboygan County in this time, in this place. And about six months ago, we kind of had been bouncing some stuff around and landed. This is where we landed. But rather than just throw it out there, we said, hey, what if we just pray for it for six months? What if instead of saying, hey, here's a vision, let's go and do this. So what if we just began to pray and say, God, can you make this happen? So the words that we ended up landing on are the vision of Belgium Community Church is every block Every community, every people. Every block, every community, every people. What I want to do here in the rest of our time is I want to, I want to explain what these three places for the vision for Belgium Community Church are. What, what are these, these three places? And the first place is every block. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Every block. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 7. Up to this point, Paul has been saying, You were lost in your sin, you were dead in your trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy, has saved you. And this is where he picks up in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the work, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice in verse 7 says there's actually more grace in front of you than there is behind you. God has already saved you, but he's going to spend the rest of your life and all of eternity pouring out his incomparable riches in your life. He says it's grace that has saved you. And then verse 10 is this great part that says, for we are God's handiwork, God's craftsmanship, God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, it's easy to think that, that the, the high point of the Christian life is a preacher preaching a sermon on stage. It, we can think that the high point of Christian existence is to go and sit in a pew in the church, but Ephesians chapter 2 says, no, it's actually the other 167 hours a week that God has created you for. That's the high point of the Christian life, that you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works in your family, at your home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your organizations, and in the clubs that God has put you on, in those ministries that you have your hand in. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works in those places. And so, one of, one of the points we have to capture here is that God is actually preparing each one of us to do something awesome every day in our daily lives. He's not saying, no, just go and sit in a church because Joe is doing the Christian work. Don't just go and support the strands as they go to Bosnia. No, it's actually the daily life of loving children, loving spouses, reaching out to neighbors, planting and tilling gardens. It's that work that you do day after day that is actually the high point of Christian existence and God has saved you to do good works in those places. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, my father is always at work. And so part of the vision of Belgium Community Church is to say that every block is a place that needs the mission of God. We use the word block as a word for unit. It might mean your neighborhood block. It might mean that, that block that God has put you on. It might be the apartment building that God has put you in. There aren't a lot of those in Belgium, but the towns around us have apartment buildings. It could be that that block that God has put you to live on mission is actually your workplace. Could be a classroom in the school. Could be a wing of your school. It could be an organization or club that you're a part of. But every block is that if, if we have one person, one family living on mission in each block of our neighborhoods, and each, in each organization, in each school, in each workplace, in each team in every workplace, we can see a massive difference for the gospel in our community and in our communities. You see, if the high point of Christian life is not to come to a church service, but the high point of Christian life is to join Jesus on mission every day, then the mission of the church is to say, how do we equip and encourage and engage you to join with Jesus in those places? Then Sunday takes on a whole different meaning. It's not like, hey, come to church so you can sit and soak and so you can get your spiritual life points. It's how can I join with this church to encourage and equip other people? And how can they encourage and equip me to live on mission every day? When I first shared this, this idea, these ideas with some of the men on the advisory team, Dan up in here kind of like, we were doing a video call and he, he like leaned into the video and said, this is it. He said, because we knew, Dan, you'll have to forgive me, I didn't ask your permission, but I've shared this a few times. Uh, he said, because when we built our new house, we said, we know that our neighborhood is our responsibility. 
And so we just took note of everybody that lived around us. And we said, what do we know about their spiritual condition? Because this is the place that God has put us, and we're responsible. And as a pastor, I could get excited if we have a high attendance and lots of people on a Sunday. But what really gets me excited is when somebody says, I'm actually joining Jesus on mission on my block. When somebody says, I shared something that I've been hearing and learning in our church with somebody in my workplace. That's actually the mission of God being lived out. And is the thing that gets me excited because what I dream about is the day that in every block in Belgium has a family that is loving and living on mission with Jesus. I, I dream of the day that somebody says, you don't know me. You don't know me, but last year I lost my job. I, I faced a diagnosis. Some tragedy happened in my life and somebody in your church reached out and loved and cared for me, shoveling my driveway, mowing my lawn, bringing meals, praying for me and my family. You don't know me, but your church and the people in it have been loving on us here. I dream of the day when our church is so close that we don't have to have people come in here to to say, hey, I need some help. We have the church and people engaged in mission out there. When a teenager says, when I was struggling with depression and fear and suicide, somebody in my class stepped up to show and share the love of Jesus with me in that place. That's what the mission of God looks like in our area. when We join Him in those places. And so what I'm going to ask you to do after the service, we've got some magnets, we've got some cards that are going to be laying this out, but not just a, hey, here's the vision clap it on the wall and it'll be cool. It's actually an invitation to say, God, where are you at work? I'm going to ask you to say, once a week, I'm going to pray, God, show me where you are at work in, you can fill in the blank, wherever that block that God has put you, that you feel like he's called you to live on mission, that's up to you. But will you identify, this is the block where God's called me to join him. And I'm going to pray, God, where are you at work? Show me and I'll join you there. You see, that's a different version of Christianity than the version that says, just invite people to church, share the gospel with them, give out tracts, nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's where we go, God, you're at work on this block and I'm going to join you here. You don't have to send a missionary because I'm here. So will you identify what's the block that God has called you to? The second place for Belgium Community Church's vision is every community. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Then a fight breaks out between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wants to take his cousin. Paul doesn't want to take him, and so they fight, and they fight so harshly that they separate. Not a normal passage that we preach on how to reconcile with a brother. But then verse 41 says that Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You see, Paul and Barnabas had gone through preaching, making disciples, seeing people converted and trusting in Christ, and when they go back to those places... All of those places are filled with churches. That's that's the pattern that we see in the Bible is that as disciples are made, those disciples get formed into churches. 
because those churches are responsible for the long-term discipleship and the long-term outreach in those communities. That has been God's designed way of seeing disciples made and carried on throughout history. The Bible also uses terms like the body of Christ, the temple of God, the bride of Christ, all of these terms for what it is that the church is, and it is the church where disciples are gathered, disciples are made, and they're sent out to live on mission. So what does that have to do with us? It seems like we're a church. What does that have to do with us? The truth is, there, between the north side of Milwaukee and the south side of Sheboygan, it's 475,000 people. Mostly small towns that nobody pays any attention to. But if we begin to pay attention and go, there are people in every one of these towns that need to hear the gospel. There are people in every one of these little towns that are living and dying with the same kinds of pressure and temptation that we're living with. But often, they have no knowledge of Jesus. They don't know any Christians. And there's no church that's living on mission saying, God loves you. God wants you. And so as we begin to say, hey, we're responsible for this town, we're responsible for our blocks, but honestly, we also have a shared responsibility to make sure that all of the people in our area get a chance to hear and experience the love of Jesus the way we do. I, I throw out that 475,000 number. One, because it's really specific. It's almost half a million people. And in, in normal missionary context, we would say that it would take 47,000 evangelical Christians to reach and disciple all of the people in our window in our area of responsibility. If you divide it out, it would take 316 churches of 150 just to reach 10% of the people between the south side of Sheboygan and the north side of Milwaukee. Those numbers are huge. There are people who have never heard the love of Jesus living in this window. And what can we do to be a part of it? What can we do to say, God, we're responsible for Belgium and we're responsible for our blocks, but we're also not okay with these 475,000 people who have not heard and will not hear if nobody goes to them. I began just, I've been living with that for a while and I've sat down with a pastor who who said, Joe, you don't even need to think about anything else until your finances are good and your attendance is great. And I'm just like, honestly, when I hear somebody say that Brian tell me he's been to the prison and the guys are like, I've never even heard that Jesus was a person. And they live within 20 miles of me. I'm like, I don't know. There's just a great sense of responsibility and burden for this area. So I just began saying, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with a church? I mean, at the time... Last fall, our church had an average attendance of about 40. What are we going to do? We're a little church, struggling to make ends meet, struggling to reach our own community and our own blocks. God, what are you up to? And I met a pastor who shared with me that he was bivocational. He said, we couldn't plant a church. We couldn't reach new communities on our own. So we just partnered with other small churches. They might have a leader, and we might have some people, and they might have some money. And so we can together reach areas that we couldn't reach on our own. So I came back and reached out to two pastors that I know that also have a heart for this region, the pastor from Plymouth Alliance and the pastor from Hill Point Church down in Brown Deer. And I just said, hey, this is the area that God's put us. Can we begin praying? And so since the fall, we've been meeting to pray. We say, God, where are you at work? And we've just been seeing God's fingerprints all over the town of Cascade. We've just been like connected with 
people that have grown up in Cascade, connected with people who now live in Cascade, people who own businesses in Cascade. Plymouth, they volunteer in a school where half the kids are from that town. And we just began to say, God, we don't really know what you're up to, but we want a front row seat. We're all small churches that can't do it on our own, but we want to have a front seat to say, you know what? A church like ours would make no difference in Milwaukee, but it could be life-changing in a place like Cascade, in a place like Fredonia, Kewaskum, a place like Newburgh, a place like Random Lake. And so right now, we're seeing the fingerprints of Jesus all over Cascade. We have no grand plans. We have no time frame. We're just saying, God, what are you up to? Make sure you involve us. And so if if we as a church are going to see the mission of God applied to this place, then that's got to mean that disciples and churches have to be raised up for every community in our region. So my invitation to you is to not just say, okay, that's nice, but to begin to pray with me. God, will you raise up workers for your harvest in Cascade? It'll take people to do it. It'll take money to do it. And God, you can do all of that. That'll be the second item on that card that I want you to grab today is to say, we, every week, God, will you raise up workers for Cascade? And the third place for Belgian Community Church's vision is every people. You see, if the vision of God in Revelation chapter 7 is people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, to be worshiping God before the throne, then our vision can't be smaller than that. We can't be like, oh, attendance of 75 or 100 or 150. That's not good enough if God's eyes are on the nations. And so as a church, we have to fix our eyes on God's vision and say, yes, I want to see in that worshiping throng people from my block. I don't want to be the only one from my block there. I don't want to be, I don't want Belgium to be the only town represented at the throne one day. We also have to say we want to make sure that people from every people, nation, tribe, and tongue are there. John Frame comments that in the Old Testament, Israel was, Israel was called to be centripetal. It's a weird word we don't use very often. But the idea was that almost like a funnel in a pool where everything gets sucked down the drain, The nations were supposed to come to Israel in the Old Testament to hear the good news of Jesus. And so Israel's like spiraling like water down a drain so that the people will come to them. Then we get to the New Testament where the church is called to be centrifugal. Like a centrifuge where instead we're spinning so fast around Jesus that we're sent to the nations. So that ultimately the vision of God in Genesis chapter 2 becomes fulfilled. Genesis 2, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And now the church is called, go and get people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Like a centrifuge, don't wait for them to come to you. Instead, go to the nations. So what does that look like for Belgium Community Church? Two things come to mind. One, we have a, I have a friend who's a pastor in Brussels, Belgium. Because we're the only Belgian community church in the world. And so somebody from Belgium, whether they're a Christian or want to become a Christian or are curious, often find our church. And reach out to us. And so I said, I need to find a good church in Belgium that I can point people to. And so LifePoint Church in Belgium is an awesome church doing great ministry there to both French and English speaking people. And so we point people in Belgium, which is, if I understand correctly, the heart of so much of European government 
the European cooperation happens in Belgium. And so the nations come there, and this church disciples and sends them out to the nations. Says, we got two years with you. We're going to do the best job we can to make a disciple and send you back to your home country. And more than just LifePoint Church in Brussels, we're also sending Michael and Leah Strand and their kids to Bosnia just about three months from now, two months from now. They're packing up everything and going to a country where there's 300 believers in the entire country. 300. That they would fit inside our this room. The entire country. So they're going to a country divided among Bosniaks, Croats, and Serbs. People who hate each other. People who are dealing with so many centuries of fighting. So much resistance to Christianity. And so they're going to see Bosniaks and Serbs and Croats in that scene in Revelation 7 one day. It's not just, oh, we need to go and make some disciples and we need to go and plant some churches. No, Michael and Leah Strand's call is to go and make sure that that scene has as many Bosniaks, Serbs, and Croats as possible. And so we're giving money every month to make sure they can be there. And so our call is, will we pray and support them? Will we periodically take trips to go and join them? Will we, will we pray that God would raise up worshipers in the country of Bosnia? Down the road, that might be other people groups. But we're going to start with Michael and Leah and the Bosniaks. Because that's the vision of God. That scene. So we get here and on some level, I hope it's kind of rah-rah. This is exciting. Let's do this. But there's also should be a level where we go, who, us? Me with my gifts? Me with my past? Me with my sin? Me with my temptation? God, what can you do with me? It's going to impact my block, my community, every people. The good news of the Bible, the good news of the Bible is that God starts with individuals. That He starts with people. Not gifted people, the people, the refuse that, that are left out, the people, the foolishness of the world. And God takes them puts them in a centrifuge around Christ and sends them to the nations. You go, how does that work? How can I know that I can be a part of this? The story of the Bible is that God made the world and He made it good. And He looked at Adam and Eve and said, yeah, you're very good. And He said, you will be my little kings and I will be the great king. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. And Adam and Eve said, no, you will not be king over us. We're going to live our own way. We're going to set up our own kingdoms on our own blocks in our own communities. The Bible says that God will one day crush all of his enemies. But instead of leaving us as his enemies, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised back to life so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ, we are the first fruits of what God is doing. So as God is building this scene, filling this room with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, He fills it with people that have repented of sin and trusted in Christ. And then He begins to use them as they are, not as they wish they were. So imagine what that looks like. Imagine what this looks like. Imagine if literally every block in Belgium, every block in your town, had a Christian family loving and speaking the words of Jesus in that neighborhood. Actually, let's go back a step. Imagine if just your family has one person 
Your extended family has one person loving them and being the hands and feet of Jesus in that family. It's a gift to that family. It's a gift to that block for him to put a family on mission on that block and saying, we're not responsible for everything, but we're going to make sure that these people are known and loved and hear the good news of Jesus. Imagine what it looks like if the the North Shore has churches, life-giving churches, loving, loving and reaching out to all the communities around here. Do you think that would affect the addiction rates, the alcoholism, the abuse rates? Do you think that would affect some things if there were churches that were loving and leaning into every community in this area? And then imagine what it's like when one day we stand before the throne singing, salvation belongs to our God, and there's people from our blocks there. There's people from our towns there. There are people from every nation that we got to be a part of. God, I I thank you that your mission is bigger than us, that you entrusted to Charles' play. In Jesus' name.